Welcome back to Nate the Hate, where you can find us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And I am joined by my co-host, the Australian Thunder from Down Under, MBG. <laughs> What's up, Nate? Great to be here. Always great to have you. And today we have a special guest, the tech analyst wizard himself, John Lenneman from Digital Foundry. Welcome, John. Greetings, gentlemen. It's good to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. It's definitely an honor to have you join us. And today we're going to talk about Phil Spencer's recent comment about the Xbox Series X, where he compared this upcoming generation to the shift we saw from 2D to 3D gaming. And I'll read his exact tweet. He said, ray tracing on console will be great. I'm very focused on the work we are doing around dynamic latency input. In my view, the feel of games this upcoming generation will change as dramatically as any since 2D to 3D, given CPU upgrade, BLI, memory bandwidth, and SSD. Now, what was your first take when you saw this tweet, John? So, I mean, there's there's different ways to look at this. First of all, there's the visual side, right? Uh, you know, obviously 2D, 2T to 3D was a gameplay shift as well as a visual shift. And, you know, arguably you could say ray tracing being kind of like the holy grail of rendering. Uh, that is kind of, you know, that's a massive, massive jump. But I'm not sure that we're going to see, you know, this is like the beginning of ray tracing, if you will. We're still in that phase. The, the RTX stuff's been around for a couple of years. Now we have the consoles. I think this is going to help make it kind of the big push. So, in a way, it, it is almost kind of like, I, I could liken it to like the PlayStation, right? Or the Saturn, when you have the early generation of 3D, this is like the early generation of ray tracing. But fundamentally, I'm not sure that that, you know, that's not really comparable in terms of gameplay wise. But when you look at the big picture of what it could represent, uh, like he mentions DLI, for instance, and I think they're they're putting a lot of effort into reducing input latency as much as possible and help developers sort of reduce that inherent latency that a lot of engines exhibit. And when you combine this with, uh, you know, modern television shipping that uh, have much, much lower input latency than TVs from, say, you know, a decade ago, it does kind of feel like they're pushing back towards games that are more responsive like i don't know if we'll get back to crt quality response times here but it's kind of heading in that direction uh i feel like the generation of playstation 3 and xbox 360 especially was really really bad for input latency frame rates were low games were very laggy uh, things didn't feel great for the most part and this generation has improved but there's still room to grow and i feel like the combination of much faster input with ray tracing you know, th those are very big things, but whether it's like 2D to 3D, that's, you know, that's kind of debatable. So latency is, yeah. latency is, you know, the time it takes for the data to come from, you know, the control of the input device to the screen, right? So remember when Stadia came out, they were talking about that negative oh, latency no. thing where they kind of predicted your input movements and stuff, which ended up being kind of... I mean, it's something that's been around for a while. I mean, Stadia's marketing thing was terrible, but that, that kind of concept has been around. I guess my question is, outside of, you know, these big buzzwords, how does this thing actually work? And 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 I think that's the part for me that I, I, I want to learn more about. I mean, it sounds really cool. 
um, and that they're working with TV manufacturers on getting that that level of uh, latency down or that lag down. I think that's awesome. They're doing that, but I also question how practical this will be when when it actually does you know finally appear on the Series X. Yeah, that's a good question. So I mean. I don't know if we actually have all the technical details on that, but it could be something like, you know, the whatever it's called, the run back or whatever they use in certain emulators. Yep. Where I think the idea, though, is to transmit uh, input to the console, uh, you know, they say specifically just before the game asks for it. Mm -hmm. So there's that bit of like prediction element to it. But, you know, you could see something like, say, uh, send. You know, you send the input, it's processing the frame, and it might, like, send the the information to the GPU at an earlier point in the rendering time, for instance. You know right. what I mean? So it's like it's just changing the order of when it's sending commands off to the GPU and CPU and everything and shuffling that around, maybe. But it sounds like this is actually a very specific thing within the console. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I, I don't know all the details on technically how it works at this point at the low level yeah <laughs> because it you're right the way they describe it it sounds like it's supposed to be something that's sort of universal right like right it, and it's something kind of embedded into the controller i think as well yeah so it's like it's part of the new controller design so it ha- maybe it has to do with the with the actual you know the controller board within this within the controller itself and the way it transmits data back and forth to the console yeah, that's that's interesting. So you know, we've been told that you can you can bring your old controllers forward to the Series X, which is great. I, I love that feature that they're they're offering. But do you get that functionality, or do you have to have a Series X controller to get the DLI? I, I think that will remain to be seen as we as we find out more about the system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. And here's. I want to see if either one of you agree with me. But when I saw his statement, my first thought was that it was it was hyperbole because we've seen high frame rates on PC. We've seen low latency. We've had SSD on PC for a while. And it sounds like he's just kind of using, you know, he's using the buzzwords to get console gamers excited about the Xbox Series X and what next gen is going to offer. But like... As I said, these are features we've seen on PC, like ray tracing, as you mentioned, John, it's still early, and now we'll actually see it utilized to a greater extent on these next-gen systems. But as you kind of compare it to like early 3D, like we saw on the Saturn and even PlayStation, so would you say it's fair to call his statement hyperbole, or do you think that's off-base? Well, when you're when you're examining things like that, like the the 2D to 3D shift, if you're talking about on the console generation, it did kind of come later than 3D appeared well before that, right? And so right. naturally, it's you know arcade games. It was in certain PC games at the time, and that's the same here. We have these features already on the PC, although dynamic latency input, you know, technically the way it's implemented does seem to be a specific hardware function. But obviously, the PC, there are ways to deal with this and reduce your latency. Um, But we haven't seen, I mean, I would say we haven't seen a significant uptake in terms of ray-traced games at this moment. There are some very impressive examples of it, but it is not something common in every release, right? There's just those high-profile titles, games like Control, Metro Exodus, and whatnot. Uh, And I think that just comes in part due to the fact that 
this feature is really only usable right now on an expensive RTX card, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of people do not have. So by implementing the feature in consoles, that is good for ray tracing in general, as it just means that there will be more hardware which can utilize these features. So it sort of encourages more developers to jump in and introduce it, which in turn allows them to start doing more interesting things with it, which could lead to sort of this revolution in visual quality. And potentially... Yeah, I don't know, gameplay, the, how this ties into the gameplay. I mean, there's definitely areas where this could affect that, but it's still kind of early to say on that side. Yeah, so would you say, like when we sort of transition from 2D to 3D, how we saw like a paradigm shift in the way we interacted and played our games, instead of ray tracing being that equivalent, would you say the SSD would play the bigger role in the way we experience games moving into the next generation? For me personally, yes, big time. That That is the fundamental shift uh, because, you know, the bottleneck right now is you're moving data from a, a hard drive into memory in order to use it, and that takes time. And so obviously the games have to be built in a very specific way in order to best leverage that limitation. So that's always a bottleneck on current machines. And even on the PC, most PC games are not designed to take advantage of specific features that solid-state drives can offer outside of something like Star Citizen, uh, which, you know, does not really work at all on a mechanical hard drive. <laughs> I agree, John. Uh, so I, I think the SSD is probably the biggest advancements that we'll see this gen, or sorry, next generation. Obviously, Sony is doubling down on it as well. They're, they're putting a lot of emphasis on it. But yeah, I mean, finally, you know, with, with the speeds that we're hearing about now, it's it's true virtual memory, you know, that, that concept of virtual memory where you've got you've exactly. got your hard drive and you're pulling things, you're pulling assets off the hard drive. I mean, sure, that, that makes a lot of sense, but it was never really fast enough to, you know, to really kind of handle just a constant flow of of assets coming off off the hard drive without some type of jittering or stuttering you know especially if you weren't um, threading your code appropriately where it could pull assets off while the game was playing now it's fast enough where it, it truly is a bank of additional ram or additional memory that you have access to and i think that's that's quite exciting for for games to, to come out and i think we'll see some really cool things come out of that as as the games start to to show up yeah, I feel like that's actually going back to where we left behind when the PlayStation Saturn and that launched. The switch to optical disc gave us significantly more space to work with, of course, but you lost that speed. Yep. Old cartridges were basically like, you know, additional memory. Using memory mapped cartridges, you could directly access the data from the cart. You know, you still had system memory for each of those consoles to work with, of course, the work RAM and whatnot. Uh, but it was super fast. And it's. This is the first time I think we're actually getting back to that point because the SSD drives here, it's not, you know, the Switch, the DS, all those systems, Vita, they always they all use flash memory, right, as like sort of a storage mechanism, but it's not technically fast enough. It doesn't have the bandwidth to actually access it as if it were memory. Mm -hmm. So uh, the move to SSD is basically returned to the memory mapped cartridge days in a way. Uh, so... I'm very curious to see what can be done with that. Yeah. So I think fundamentally it's going to shift the, the types of things that can be done. And 
we've not had a point where we're in this modern era of you know engines and whatnot where developers have had this kind of horsepower available to them for sure this bandwidth and, and Nate, not to plug my channel, but I did a recent video on Nintendo 64, and um, I, I read a quote from Factor Five, um, John, that you mentioned that that kind of just remind me of it. That they they said that when they were developing games on the N64, they were treating the cartridge like additional RAM, you know, and that was kind of the way that they thought about developing the games. That they didn't really. They weren't really that limited by the four megabytes of RAM on the N64 because they had this cartridge, you know, to that was really their uh, pool of memory that they were u- using. Yeah, and th- that was a great video, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, that, that's the problem. Well, N64, like you said, has had such little memory to work with, especially things like the texture cache and whatnot. So yeah. sort of like streaming data in and out, you know, in real time from the cartridge worked well there. Yeah, and I think we'll see we'll see games start to use that approach. I mean, games are doing that today. I mean, everything, especially open world oh, yeah. games, things are being streamed constantly. But I think we'll see a lot more um, as far as dynamic games, you know, with, with dynamic kind of environments uh, as things kind of shift in and out. And I think that's really exciting. There's definitely going to be a, a change in the landscape as far as games that we start to see coming yeah. out next gen. Imagine like the fidelity that you can do like, in the sense that, you know, like loading a lot of animation data, for instance, that, that requires a lot of bandwidth to pull it from the hard drive. So obviously right now, because they are streaming all the time, they sort of need to budget the type of data they're streaming and how much they're going to need for any scene, for instance. And now there's just you, you because you have access to so much so fast, you could kind of conceivably fetch anything you might need, mm-hmm. allowing significantly more complex sequences. Uh, like right now, I don't think we could see. You, you look at what Naughty Dog's done. You look at something like Uncharted Four, uh, some of those incredibly complex animation sequences, and a lot of those very carefully designed things. Obviously, a lot of that is just you know careful talent poured into making sure the assets the animations everything's great but you still need to load all that data and trying to dump that kind of interactions into a massive open world game uh i think it would be pretty difficult to do well and i'm not sure we've really seen it i mean even productions like red dead redemption 2 with its huge world it doesn't have the finesse of something like that right not even close really uh so you know, I'm very curious to see what they can do on that side, and I think that is the the big step forward. Yeah, because like I'll use Final Fantasy VII Remake as a recent example, where you would go into you know town and you would try to interact with one of the characters, and you would have that, I'd say what about five to seven second buffer of where the game was trying to load and stream just a simple conversation and to bring up like the shop menu. That is such a weirdly egregious example of this, and I'm not really sure what's going on there uh, because we've seen plenty of games that don't struggle from these same issues. So it kind of seems like they had issues sort of managing (laughs) what they're loading into memory because it's constantly shuffling things around. You got the texture pop in, loading conversations, uh, that kind of stuff. It's kind of bizarre, actually. So, so yeah, hopefully... And we all expect that Final Fantasy VII Remake will get a port to next-gen consoles. It's square. It's an easy money opportunity. And hopefully 
something like that is addressed in those versions, especially, you know, they can take advantage of the SSD. I wouldn't expect them to go crazy with a next-gen port of the first game. But especially, like, the sequel, we should see considerable improvement in the way the, you know, towns, the characters, everything loads. And that's exciting. Like, I guess one of my questions for the SSD would be, how do you as Microsoft or Sony advertise it to the mass gaming community as this must-have feature? Because going from 2D to 3D, 3D is, it, you saw it. It sold itself. How do you sell SSD streaming and all of this to the mass consumer? Man, so, that, that is a great question. I'm going to let John take that one because that, that, that is a really good question because you're right most people most people out there they want to buy a console for christmas for their kids they want to play madden they want to play fifa they're not that interested in you know technical performance and specs like that so yeah i mean that's that's a great great question i think it's going to be a case where it comes down to the end result what happens within these games and and word of mouth and i'll, I'll give you an example that i always kind of go to frame rate you know, you try to tell the masses about, oh, you need 60 frames per second, high frame rates, superior. <laughs> Most people, they're not going to understand what you're talking about or care. They'll just say, well, I, I don't I don't understand. You know, that's just the average person. That's not important to them. But if you look at a lot of the top selling, most successful games in the world right now, you'll find that most of them are actually 60 frames per second, right? It's very, very common. Not all, but there's a lot. And what I found is that if you talk to these people about these games, like something like Call of Duty, like Fortnite, uh, they run at these frame rates, they will tell you that this game feels better than this other game that might be 30 frames per second. They don't know why, but they know that it does. There's something about that feel. The frame rate does actually improve the experience, which we all know. They don't know why it's better, they just know that it is better. And I feel like it's the same kind of thing we might see with what the SSD could bring to the table. You show people games that really showcase something maybe they haven't seen before or something really amazing or just deliver a really, really good experience, and I think they start to get it. But I don't know about just going out there and being like, yeah, we got this super fast drive. Like You guys should buy our system for that. Like It's not going to work for the casual audience but it it does work for the more hardcore audience. So that's why yes. I think like marketing this stuff requires sort of a multi-prong approach where you've got to target different consumers uh, in different areas. And yeah, so if one message is not going to work for everyone. Yeah, it kind of feels like ray tracing may be the term that they could use as, you know, that marketing term to target more of the casual kind of like we saw during like the super nes era where we had the um what was the name of the mode ship seven. <laughs> mode seven yeah mode seven <laughs> like you they showed you star fox and it's like look how crazy this is we're using this special oh, technology super fx oh yeah yeah super, yeah, yeah super fx like you say that and people are like oh this is something new it's exciting it feels like ray tracing is kind of like that modern day super fx where they're going to show you the lighting and they're going to show you these this amazing visuals and you're going to look at a call of duty trailer and that's what's going to resonate with you from that visual so, standpoint of this is amazing 
There's a weird thing, though, to consider with this, and it's something I've been thinking about. You know, with ray tracing in these consoles, we kind of have a rough idea of how they compare with, say, the RTX series cards, at least on the Xbox side. We don't really know much about PS5 there. But, uh, you know, with these more capable CPUs, more powerful graphics cards, you're thinking, hey, we can do 60 frames per second games or higher more often. Uh, But then you add ray tracing into the mix, and suddenly that starts to, you know, come into doubt which makes me wonder if we'll see more games that use ray tracing than just go back and start targeting 30 FPS again as is kind of the the norm for a lots of certain games. Like I don't see yeah. Call of Duty for instance going heavy on ray tracing outside of maybe I guess the question is is it fast enough to use certain features mm-hmm. of ray tracing at 60 frames per second? Like that that is still up in the air, but I have a feeling that this is going to it's going to kind of be an either or you're either doing ray tracing, but at a lower frame rate, or you're not doing ray tracing and you're hitting 60 or higher. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. I, and I'm going to, I'm going to push that a little further, Nate. I'm going to ask, okay, let's, let's cut the BS, right? Let's, let's look at Spencer's tweet again. Okay. <laughs> so he said, ray tracing on the console will be great. And then he shifts the conversation to something completely different. Talking about DLI, 2D to 3D, CPU upgrades, memory bandwidth, SSD. Are we, you know, does that, are we, are we, re- how do we kind of interpret this tweet? Is, is, is Spencer saying, yeah, we've got ray tracing, it's cool, but it's going to be cool in really small doses in various, you know, very limited scenarios. And by the way, here's all the real cool stuff that we're doing on the Series X to kind of take the conversation away from ray tracing. Or do you think that, you know, it's just something that Spencer's kind of focusing more on at the moment? You see, I think that's where they can still use ray tracing as that buzzword, even if it's only used by, let's say, 30% of its overall library. It's ray tracing. When they want to showcase it and highlight it in a significant way, they will. But I guess going back to John's point, I mean, ray tracing is resource heavy. So it's not going to be utilized by everything, especially those games they want to push higher frames a second. So like, I wouldn't expect to see ray tracing in the next like Forza Horizon game or even the next just mainline Forza game mm-hmm. because that's, you know, they wanted... They, that's a game that you'd want to push those higher frame rates on. And you'll I mean, still target, you know... They the could have an option, though. Like yeah. Forza Horizon 4 had this 60 frames per second mode on Xbox One X, which was 1080p. Uh, versus the 4K native mode, which is locked at 30. So, you know, conceivably, I could see them doing something like, here's the high-end mode, here's the high frame rate mode. True. So they could do... Yeah, that's true. You could maybe... You could remove a ray tracing or the certain other features to do the higher the higher performance mode, and then you have graphics mode, which we've seen a lot of Switch games use all of a sudden. But they give us those two options, performance versus graphics mode, mostly from THQ Nordic games, which is surprising <laughs> that they're the ones giving us options. But that that's an interesting idea from Microsoft to really utilize in their games moving forward. Because, I mean, these machines are going more towards a PC route, where we're going to have more flexibility or options in the way we experience the games. Because... I mean, yes, they're going to push 4K. They're going to push higher frame rates. But if they can still, you know, offer that, like, oh, maybe 
we'll do checkerboard. We're going to give you the higher frame rate with ray tracing. If that doesn't mean anything to you, maybe you don't have a monitor or a TV that's going to, you know, you don't have a 4K monitor, so you're going to set your game to 1080 and you want full ray tracing and let's say hypothetically well, 120 frames a second. Could they offer all of these profiles in a single game? Uh, oof, I don't know if they go that far with it. <laughs> but I, I, you mentioned checkerboard, and I actually think that a key thing for this generation is going to be things such as you know image reconstruction, temporal upscaling, stuff like variable rate shading, basically anything to reduce the the load on the GPU, which could conceivably give more headroom to ray tracing functions. So a lot of that's very effective. I mean, you guys have seen how good these reconstruction methods have become lately. It's very impressive what you're able to achieve. And stuff like, um, you know, I, we don't know that much about what they can do with machine learning on the Series X yet, but they do support direct ML. Mm-hmm. And, you know, conceivably there could be something like a DLSS style um, imagery construction technique, right? Like DLS, DLSS 2.0 on the PC side is extremely impressive. If you're kind of rendering a 1080p image and you use DLSS 2.0 with it, you're basically hitting what looks to the eye kind of like an actual native 4K image, but at a fraction of the cost. I mean, obviously DLSS has a cost, but it is lower than just rendering natively. So I think if you combine all these elements together, maybe you start to get the headroom you need to introduce more ray tracing features without killing the frame rate, maybe. Yeah, so out of the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5, based on what we know, you know, based on public information, what would which of the two would you say is better equipped to utilize ray tracing to a greater extent? We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that owl has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative a construction off the <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely entirely check out the gaming blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now i don't think we can answer that yet to be honest uh because we just don't know enough about the ps5 side i mean on xbox one x or on Xbox Series X, uh, I did actually get to play around with uh, Minecraft, the ray tracing demo. So I saw that running on a real console and played with it. And you know that's the path tracer that they implemented in there. It's pretty demanding, right? You need a, a beefy PC to run that well. And it was running at 1080p with an uncapped frame rate. So it was sort of, I'd say, 40 to 60 frames per second, depending on what you're looking at. Which doesn't sound amazing, in terms of performance, but at the same time, this is such an expensive and complete use of ray tracing or path tracing in this case, which is even more demanding uh, that, you know, it kind of gives us a ballpark idea of where it's at. And it's pretty impressive, actually, I'd say. But yeah, PS5, no idea. 
Yeah, I think we need to see more from from uh, Mr. Sony and the PlayStation Five before we can <laughs> we can you know kind of A B test and, and and provide accurate comparisons. But at the moment, yeah, I mean, you would say Microsoft only because you know as we've mentioned in the past, Nate, that Microsoft have come out of of the gate really quickly this this time around, and they're kind of running the narrative at the moment. But yeah, I mean, I think once we see the PlayStation 5 in more detail, we'll definitely have a better idea. Yep. Yeah. And one thing I do have to say for Phil Spencer is I love the way he is handling this pre-launch of the Xbox Series X, especially when you compare it to the terrible job that Don Matrick did with the <laughs> Xbox One X. Xbox oh, One. man. I mean, Spencer is in a completely different league here. He's like they waited they bided their time where people were actually sitting there saying what's going on with the next xbox is like have they even handed out dev kits and then all of a sudden we get the the reveal at the game awards and since then phil spencer has been he's been aggressive he's one step ahead of sony it seems like every turn and every time sony comes out with something there's microsoft with a response and i mean it seems like microsoft is ready for a full turnaround and I've said it before, but Microsoft feels very confident right now. And, very confident. I mean, it's just going to be a question sure. of, is their confidence well-placed? Yeah, I mean, it's that's that's we're going to have to wait and see on that. But, you know, I think it's a great example of why competition matters. Yeah. You know, yes. they, Nate, uh, John, Nate and I joke around. I, I keep telling him that the console wars are back this generation, <laughs> and he doesn't believe me, but I, I think the console wars are back for this for sure oh they are completely back and no. not only are they back they might be more severe than they've ever been could really be. the the amount of excitement around these machines right now is insane like i get it but wow like <laughs> i know you see, you see a playstation uh five logo gets what well, was like three million likes on instagram <laughs> whoever thought that would happen <laughs> especially since it was just a number swap yeah, I mean, people are really, really passionate right now. Uh, and I would say, especially on the PlayStation side, they are really passionate, very excited. Uh, and so, which kind of makes me think about the whole reveal strategy. Um, they're taking two very different approaches, right? Like Microsoft's been very upfront, you know, rolling things out at a reasonable pace. You're learning a lot about the machine. Uh, but there is a little less mystery there, of course. So that's kind of good or bad. And Sony's taking the opposite approach where they're sort of very slowly putting information out there, keeping things very quiet. Like you remember the original Wired articles last year Mm -hmm. where it's just like, you know, you get the tease that, oh yeah, we're working on the next thing. And then the logo reveal. And then we had the reveal with Mark Cerny here. Um, (laughs) It's a very different strategy. And I'm curious to see how that pays off for them because I do feel like they were a little more aggressive with PS4. Yeah. The February yeah. event they held for that was very, very strong. Like they showed a lot of stuff, and it was a ton of stuff that got people excited. And then when E3 came around, they sort of delivered the killing blow, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say what's going to happen this time, especially right now. With I'm sure some plans have changed as well. Right. Yeah, I feel like they're waiting to kind of sunset the ps4 get the last two the last the last two games out <laughs> of uh of the summer 
Ghost of Tsushima and The Last of Us Part 2, of course. And then I think the focus will shift to PS5 very quickly after that. Yeah. We do hope, yes. That is a good point. (laughs) Although, yeah, I mean, The Last of Us for PlayStation 3 was released after the PlayStation 4 big reveal, right? That is true. That is true. and it's it's interesting that The Last of Us is once again in that position as a very, very late generation game. But thanks to Ghosts of Tsushima, it is no longer The Last of Us. That is the, that is the true Last of Us. And it, it always seems Sony has one of their bigger first-party titles launch close to their next-gen hardware. Like, we had The Last of Us launch close to the PS4. Then we had God of War 2 launch yeah. i think it was the month before the playstation 3 and the ironic part was those systems couldn't play those games uh the ps3 could ps3 could you just didn't get i remember some people were hoping you'd get like a benefit by playing it on a ps3 but like we didn't even see an hd version of god of war 2 until no it's true until when did they actually do those hd remasters of the god of war i don't remember the date but it was several years into the ps3 and it's weird that once again i wonder if it's deliberate by sony that they just want to end their current gen on a high note and then just transition into next i wondered that i mean what about say they also released gran turismo 6 after the playstation 4 had launched that's correct (laughs) and arguably one of my favorite games on playstation 3 was absolutely puppeteer actually oh, yeah yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. remember that and that launched just before playstation 4 as well which kind of maybe sent it to die even though it was not a big triple a release but still uh imagine if that had been a ps4 launch game i feel so like it would have with the 3d yeah. support right like that would have been such an amazing ps4 launch game it could have been double the frame rate even uh throw that up against knack Sorry, Nack. I mean, you know, <laughs> gotta go with Puppeteer on this one. <laughs> oh man, yeah, Puppeteer as a launch game on PS4 with the 3D support, you would have had a better yeah. frame rate. You would have had sharper resolution for 3D. That could have been a significant launch game at the time for the system instead of, you know, Mark Cerny's Knack. And you know, you could still have Knack. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> whatever, that's fine. It's just I think Puppeteer really would have been great as a launch title because it was sort of forgotten on ps3 but as a launch title for ps4 positive that could have been big and it's i kind of feel the same about what's happening now like i think it's too late for something like you know ghosts and the last of us of course but cyberpunk cyberpunk launching in september obviously originally targeting spring how much more of an impact would that have had if that game launched alongside the new consoles i mean sure you'd still have your last gen version that's fine but to have a souped up version on the new machines with improved visuals and new features and i think that would have just the amount of consoles that would have moved it would have made a huge difference and you know it would still sell everywhere because you know it's right. a popular game. well that's the thing with cyberpunk they did say that if you buy it the xbox one version and you put it in your series x you get some form of an upgrade but i don't know if they specified if it would be on the xbox series x launch day or not i mean did did they actually say that it would be upgraded or that it would just work i would have to check their wording on that because that's what i'm wondering yeah i i I gotta go back and check as well it's it's interesting point 
because I mean, the- theoretically, it could it could run better. I mean, that's presuming there are performance issues in the launch version. Uh, maybe just running it on an Xbox Series X would fix those problems. In that case, so putting on my conspiracy theory hat on for a sec, do you think that they made the date September because they don't have exact information as to when new generation consoles are coming out, and so they couldn't really Uh-oh. commit to anything because they didn't know? I mean, targeting launch is obviously always a difficult proposition. So you kind of have to assume a time frame. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, I I don't know. I kind of imagine that both Sony and Microsoft maybe still haven't figured out things like launch date or even price. Like, I'm sure they have lots of potential options, but I could see a situation where it's, you know, the situation is still fluid. So they got to wait and see. Mm-hmm. But you could tell developers, you know, we're going to target this time frame, so try to be ready by then. And, you know, but still, I, Cyberpunk's going to dominate September either way. Yes. And it yeah, almost absolutely. makes sense to do it uh, GTA 5 style, where you release it oh. on the last gen machines. And then, hey, you know, a year later, or even <laughs> less, here's this super enhanced version, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a good example right there. And I wonder, I kind of wonder if. Microsoft and Sony are definitely playing a game of cat and mouse when it comes to pricing and even <laughs> launch date. Yeah, for sure. They just kind of sit there saying, okay, who's who's going to blink first? And the problem is, is that Microsoft is in a position right now. They are the cat in this cat and mouse. They're waiting for Sony to scurry across the floor to make their move, and then they're going to pounce. And both companies have to be aware of this because... I mean, there's no way Sony is sitting in their office saying, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to get one up over Microsoft. Microsoft's sitting there saying, we know you're thinking that, whether it's in price or launch day. See, you think you're going to beat us. This is the part that I struggle with. Sony sold 100 million PlayStation 4s. Yes. And now we kind of are led to believe that they're waiting to see what Microsoft's doing. That part I struggle with. I'm not saying it's it's not it's not true or it, it's not something that's happening but i just how how can you come away from the ps4 in such a commanding position and kind of be second guessing yourself coming into the next gen that that part really just uh, doesn't make sense to me i hate to use this term but it's been true in the past sony i think sony is shifting a little bit into their arrogant sony oh there it is i was waiting for that you mean from (laughs) ps2 to ps3 all over again yeah i think they're kind of saying that like we had a huge success and we also have to remember how many times microsoft fell over their own feet due to the poor leadership of don matrick of the xbox one where they came out said you can't have used games and Mm -hmm. sony comes out at e3 and you had Adam Boys hand the game to Yoshida saying, here. <laughs> like, that was a coup de grace right there. It was, oh, yeah. Microsoft can't recover their messaging. Microsoft's messaging has just been on point. Yeah. And I think when they came out at the Game Awards, they caught Sony off guard with a more powerful machine than Sony was expecting. And now Sony's kind of on, they kind of, they backed a little bit. Like, okay, Microsoft is coming at us stronger than we thought they're coming way more aggressive than we anticipated how do we counter this so one interesting thing to consider though is that power is not the be-all end-all right if you look at the history of playstation they were not 
always the most powerful. PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, they have their interesting strengths for sure, but mm-hmm. there was competition that was more capable, I would say, in both of those cases, despite them becoming the market leader. And you also see this in the handheld space, like with the DS and the PSP or the 3DS and the Vita, yep. where you know the more powerful machine fell short. Although I would still say the PSP was a huge success. It just wasn't DS success. Mm-hmm. right? And the Xbox One, I think, is the first time... I mean, it's only their third console, but it's the first of the three that launched that was actually a weaker machine. That's the first time that it happened because the Xbox brand was built specifically around power, and I'm not sure that was necessarily the case with the PlayStation. It just kind of happened that way with PS4. So, and even now, you know, the PS4 Pro is is a less capable machine, but, you know, the launch situation is different since it came out a year earlier and everything, so... I think even if one is, I think Microsoft wants the power more than Sony, perhaps. If you know what I mean, it's like, yeah, to them, it's very important for their brand, for their fans to have as as much power as possible. On the PS5, and I'm not saying one is more powerful than the other here at all. So, yep. <laughs> so for anybody listening, that is not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying <laughs> I think it would be more acceptable on the sony side to have a slightly less capable machine because that's kind of how they've rolled in the past uh and it has not hurt their output at all i don't think power alone is why people have gone to playstation i mean that was not that's definitely wasn't the case for me either so right i mean i guess you could say sony has a more prestigious lineup of first party software they have their iconic franchises whereas microsoft still kind of just has i guess you would say halo gears of war and forza but neither of those like three really match the highs of the god of wars or even a more recent example of like horizon zero dawn like that was a huge success for a new ip i want to see what they can do this because they have purchased a lot of developers and if you look back at the history of the xbox there were periods where they had a lot of first party published games that were really interesting and unique and i mean they even recruited in japanese studios like the mistwalker games for instance yes those were phenomenal microsoft was doing a lot of experimental stuff and working with great developers and publishing this stuff under the first party name some of it didn't pan out, but, you know, they were going for stuff like Too Human, for instance, at the time. Obviously, that didn't, you know, we know what happened there. But I'm just saying, you know, if you look at the history of that developer that they went with, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, yeah. I think... But I don't feel that they did that much at all this generation. It feels like after a certain point, they've just really leaned on third party, and then they were never able to get back to these killer, unique first-party productions. Yep. Yeah, when you look at Microsoft during the pre-Call of Duty 4 Xbox 360 days to post-Call of Duty 4, it looks like a completely different company because, as you said, like they went to Japan and they courted Square Enix for Final Fantasy XI. They had Mistwalker with That's Blue right. Dragon and Lost Odyssey. They yeah, went Bullet Witch. Yeah. yeah, Bullet Witch. <laughs> they went to Namco to get Tales of Vesperia as a console exclusive. Don't forget uh, Atlas Cave with all those great shoot-em-ups um, from Japan like uh, Don oh, yeah, Apache and, and all that stuff. I mean, all that like, yeah. exclusive Japanese stuff. I yeah, would like love that $1,000 uh, cave shooter box. I, know. I saw one for sale recently, <laughs> and I was like, I really want that, but no, I can't I, do it. I've piecemealed most of the collection, John, but I don't have the box to go with it, unfortunately. Oh, man. But then there's the, uh, 
<laughs> you said Namco and Tales of Asperia. Do you remember the cancer uh, Frame City Killer from Namco? No. Don't remember Frame City Killer? No, I don't. Oh, guys, man, it was it was an Unreal Engine three like open world city game, like sort of a cyberpunk oh. universe created by Namco, and it was supposed to be a three sixty exclusive, but alas, yeah. it was canned. What was the game on the? I think it was the Xbox that was canceled. Um, True Fantasy Live. True Fantasy Online. Yeah, yeah. True Fantasy yeah. Online. I remember oh, that. I remember being yeah. excited for that game. And the release date, it was like, it's supposed to release in like a month. And then I'd go, you know, to like IGN. This was like back in like, what was it, 2004? And like, Microsoft canceled the game. It's like, but it was supposed to come out in like three weeks. It's like, what happened there? <laughs> but like, the Xbox era Microsoft, because they leaned so heavily yeah. on themselves. You had, they covered every genre back then. And they just became such a different company. But it seems like under Phil Spencer now with these company acquisitions and his reach out to Japan in recent months, he really wants to have that diverse offering of software again. And we've seen the rumors of a brand new Fable, a new Perfect Dark, and they're finally embracing that catalog of IP that they own. And I think that can be a really strong attribute for the Xbox Series X if they're able to get these games out in a timely manner. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree, man. Like, I, I think that in the old the old Microsoft, you know, the one we were just talking about, they took a lot of risks. And with the, the, the Xbox One, you know, they were very risk averse at, at that point. They just didn't want to know anything about anything like that. Now, it seems like Spencer is is making some moves and they are they are taking some gambles. They're taking some risks again. And I really respect that and appreciate that. I mean... I love the Xbox original because it was such a unique, different system at the time, and it had all these cool games that you couldn't get on on the PlayStation, like mm-hmm. uh, Jet Set Radio Future and and stuff so like that. And hopefully, we can get back to something like that with the the Series X. You know, Blood yeah, Week Two, Blood Week Two, Blood Week Two, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like, yeah, it was amazing how on the original Xbox, how much Microsoft went to Sega. Yep. Like Shenmue 2. Yeah. A lot of people, Dragoon Order. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize there's probably about 200 exclusive uh, Xbox games that came out on that system that you can't get anywhere else. I mean, obviously now some, a lot of them have been brought forward and some have been remade and, and things like that. But at the time, yeah. it was it's a lot bigger than you think when you think about the original Xbox. Ninja Gaiden Black. Yeah. Like, Microsoft was an aggressive company on the original Xbox and they started on the 360 and they lost their way in a post Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare world. They leaned so heavily on the Western support and they oh, did yeah. it again on the Xbox One and it just feels like they're going to go back to their Plus the Kinect stuff in there as well oh, and yeah. Also you got you know if you look at <laughs> if you look at that generation and the 360 generation uh that was when Japan struggled a lot with development. True. There was, a, there was a lot of issues there with Japanese studios. I mean, some of them really pulled it off. Capcom and their MT framework was phenomenal, but it was a slow period. Japan kind of reemerged this generation back mm-hmm. to where they should be, uh, or at least where they were yes. in the past, kind of. So you know, and I I know Phil Spencer loves Japanese games, so I'm sure he's very eager to get some more of those on Xbox as well. But uh, we'll see what happens. So this could be interesting. I would like to see them go back to that early 360 original Xbox kind of attitude. Yeah, and, we, and we've seen Spencer 
bear fruit of his Japanese travels. Like we have the Yakuza games are on Game Pass right now. Yep. And That's I mean, true. Those, those were games that Sega was saying, I believe only a couple of years ago, they had no plans to bring to the Xbox. And all of a sudden they're on Game Pass. So it really makes you wonder, what does the future hold in terms of Japanese support for the Xbox Series X? Because Fantasy Star Online too. Yes, as well. and they had Square with Kingdom Hearts three. Yes, and if they can get Final Fantasy seven remake over, you know, after the PS four exclusivity period ends, I think, I think people really have to pay attention a little more to Microsoft here. But I mean, Sony still has that first party advantage. But if Microsoft can come out and leverage those IPs that they've been sitting on, whether they're rare IPs or they create some brand new IPs. I, I do feel like the Series X is the rebirth of the Xbox brand. And I hope uh, PlayStation, though, also... Mm-hmm. So I feel like they've lost a little something over the course of this generation. They're still producing amazing first-party games, but they've kind of settled on this sort of action-adventure-style game, right? And along the way, they've shut down a lot of studios. Like, Sony used to have such a huge arm uh, in the UK, especially some amazing talent over there producing just wonderful games, especially racing games and all kinds of other stuff. And all of that stuff seems to have been just pushed away. They shut it all down. There's not much over there other than, you know, media molecules still there doing dreams, which is amazing. But, (laughs) you know, compared to where they were at the start of the PS4 generation or in PS3, they don't have quite the variety of first party titles. Maybe I guess Japan studio and all the people working under there might still uh, produce some of that unique content, but it does feel like they've really kind of focused on a select number of developers under their umbrella now. Mm-hmm. They definitely feel more of a, I used, I mean, I'll use this term, they're more American focused with exactly, what we're yeah, from their software. Like, I mean, we have The Last of Us, we have now we're going to see, you know, Spider Man, we see Horizon come from Gorilla, but when you lose the studios like Liverpool, who would produce the Wipeout games. That's exactly what I was thinking of. And also Evolution Studios, Drive Club, like it had issues, but it's an amazing game. And so were the MotorStorm games. Uh, MotorStorm was a fun franchise. And then I believe the last entry was MotorStorm Apocalypse. And I think that was, didn't that come around the same time as the earthquake in Japan? So not only did that come around uh, during the earthquake, it also released during that massive PSN outage. Yes, so, just like SOCOM 4. Yeah, I remember sp- I spoke to some of the guys that worked on this when I did that video on Onrush. Uh, uh-huh. And it was all the Evolution Studios guys. And it's like, it sounds like the the impact that had on them must have just been insane. You know, you're working on this game for so long, you're getting ready to release it, and all of a sudden these things start happening. You're just like, I mean, what do you do? <laughs> That's really bad. Yeah. Talk about like a perfect storm of exactly what can go wrong did go wrong for them there it's just a shame because it, it's a great game nonetheless it is a great game but yeah i do hope sony is able to dive into a little more of that like creativity because like i love like the ratchet and clank series and we only got the reboot from yeah. Insomniac this although gen. from japan we did get the absolutely stellar astrobot which True. is one of this is possibly the best VR platformer yes. that's ever been made. It's really good. So it is a good game. Uh, there is still stuff like that coming out. Definitely. So it's definitely 
like right now my focus is definitely on microsoft i feel like they're going to be the ones who take a gamble in terms of software development this generation because they know they have to and i fear that that arrogant sony persona is going to come out and they're going to play it a little safe like we're going to get the horizon 2 sequel we're going to get another god of war we're going to get another spider-man is that and, really that but hold on Nate. is that is that safe or is it or is microsoft coming out with the series x we'll say holiday this year with mm-hmm. no exclusives but you get game pass for three months for free which one's more safer i think i think that's a safer option than than sony Oh, in a way, yes, I do agree with you. But at the same time, if I'm Microsoft and I'm watching with no exclusives and I'm giving you Game Pass for three months, isn't that a gamble in and of itself? I'm I'm launching with essentially nothing. Yeah. And I'm still trying to sell you on this hardware. Like, I do think backwards compatibility is going to be a huge thing for Microsoft this gen, especially in contrast to Sony, who seems kind of non-committed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely uh, agree on on the non-committing part. It it seems like they've just stumbled, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much the whole year. But I do think Sony has a a platform still where they can show the hardware from a consumer perspective, not from a GDC conference perspective, and really win back. <laughs> Yeah. I guess some some I'm not they haven't lost any fans but just really win no. back confidence from from a, a c- right. consumer perspective you know I guess it comes down to whether or not let's say Microsoft they show some of their software and let's just say hypothetical they come out they show a new Forza game using ray tracing it's near photorealistic it looks amazing they come out they announce a perfect dark they give us a teaser trailer that'll get some fans excited they show a complete reboot of the fable franchise where it's almost something like the witcher 3 but it has dragons and some whimsicalness to it and then they show us a amazing gameplay demonstration of halo infinite mm-hmm. using ray tracing taking advantage of the ssd in full where they're just going through this whole massive world there are no load times there is no pop in and then they're saying halo infinite's launching we'll say october of this year at the xbox series x right that that might be enough for people to say, wow, Halo finally evolved. Yeah, I mean, if if that happens, and trust me, I, I welcome that. I want that to happen. Then Microsoft has coming is, is coming out next generation, you know, swinging all guns blazing. I mean, I, I that's what I want want to see happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah, that's my sure. hopes. <laughs> we still don't know what Sony's going to have lined up for launch either. So, I mean, last time they. They had games like Killzone Shadowfall, which maybe oh. not not reflected upon in the most positive light looking <laughs> back, even though I think it's a solid game. Uh, it was an absolute technical showpiece. Oh, visually, it's, so, it's still impressive. Yeah, like they, they had some big things like that ready to go at launch. And they also had smaller stuff like Resogun. Yeah, really Resogun cool was great. It looks great. So, but we, ha- you know, that's why we obviously we have to wait for this big Sony reveal yeah. to see, like, because we just don't know. We know nothing about what they have on the software side. Do you That's think true. they're ready? Do you think both Microsoft and Sony are ready, or do you think this is more of a we have to do this now versus mm. are we actually ready to release this stuff? I mean, I can't really, I can't speak to Sony because we just don't know enough. Yeah. It's hard to to gauge. 
but having visited Microsoft, it does really feel like they've been working towards this for a long time. They do. It, it seems very ready, like they're ready to go in hard. So mm-hmm. I think that they are definitely ready. Uh, PS5, they absolutely could be ready as well. We just don't know because, yep. again, it's it's really hard to know what's going on in there. There's just not enough information there. So, so if you were Phil Spencer, what would be your focus for your upcoming events where you have to sell the Xbox Series X to the mass consumer? Like, what game would you show and what features would you highlight to make people say, wow, I never bought an Xbox before, but I'm buying a Series X? I think they've talked a lot about the hardware already. I think that's out mm-hmm. there. I think what they need to do is they need to come out swinging with some very big games that show what this offers over previous gen. And they need to do... It can be a mix of new stuff, but I really think something like Halo Infinite, it needs to be good, it needs to look amazing, and it needs to be shown. Uh, I think that's the kind of thing that actually gets fans of the platform excited again, and that's kind of what they're waiting for. So they need a moment like that. But, you know, like you said, showing something like Fable 4 uh, and what it could conceivably be. Maybe it's not ready to be shown, but that's the kind of stuff, you know, big, big stuff like that. They really need to get out there and they need to get it out there fast because the last two conferences at E3, they were very entertaining, but they didn't. There wasn't anything that was quite that powerful, especially last year. Yes. You know what I mean? Where it, nothing mm-hmm. where you're like, whoa. And that's that's something Sony was always really good with uh, at their E3 conferences was just like knocking it out of the park with at least one or two like really jaw dropping demos or something unexpected. Uh, Uh That's, you know, Microsoft need, they need that really bad for on the software side. Cause I think people are excited about the hardware, but they, they need that software. And that's like Sony had the E3 of dreams where you had the last guardian final fantasy and uh, like Shenmue and Microsoft had, I'd say they consistently had solid E3s throughout the Xbox One generation, they just never had that showcase that you walked away from saying, wow, I need to get an Xbox. It was just consistently quality, but nothing that nothing groundbreaking. Like we've seen the Ori franchise. They're great games. You saw Cuphead, oh, yeah. a fantastic game, but they weren't system sellers, whereas Sony would come out in 2017, show you a roadmap of their next three years of big releases, and that was enough. Like, yeah, you're not getting these games for three to four years, but they got you excited today and you bought a PlayStation for them and you kept buying PlayStations moving forward. And that was enough. Whereas Microsoft was just always kind of like, they always left you waiting. Like you guys have to have something bigging. Something big is coming from you. Right. And it just never seemed to come to fruition. Yeah, that is, that's kind of the thing. I feel like they never, they never had a demo as impactful as the Halo 2 demo from 2004. That was like the best moment in Xbox E3 history in my (laughs) memory where, you know, even though the final game didn't end up looking quite like that. And we've seen builds of that version running on Xbox hardware. It was, you know, it was a legit thing. It was just very early. And, uh, but still the way that that whole reveal went was absolutely nuts. It really brought yeah. down the house. <laughs> yeah, people people went crazy for it. I mean, I think my big moment for Microsoft at like an E3 was probably when they showcased Gears of War because that game to me was 
that set next gen. See, I'm split on that because it it looked insane when it released, but the earliest demos before they really nailed the gameplay loop had a lot of weirdness going on. Like you'd have the scenes car. of car. That was like well, a big... there's the car that was cool with the shadows because <laughs> the early cool. versions they had full dynamic shadows, which was cool. But even yeah. earlier than that, when they very first showed the game, you'd have like Marcus Phoenix just running across a battlefield, just taking tons and tons of bullets. <laughs> And he's just kind of like, ooh, 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 like flinching in, in a very uh, not so elegant looking way. And it just made it seem like you're just like, what? You're just taking all these bullets and he's just reacting this way. And like, what's even the gameplay? And can Epic even make a single player game like this anymore? Uh, there was a lot of like, you know, confusion around it at that time. For me, at least, I remember being like uh, skeptical. But then when it came out, it was, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, Gears to me was like that game that really set the 360 apart from the Xbox. Because you remember the early days of the 360 where we had Wall Guy and everyone was calling it an Xbox 1.5. But then we had Grawl. Yeah. Grawl. <laughs> and Grawl. <laughs> and Fight Night Round 3. Oh, duh. that game was great. Oh, yeah. That looks that's stunning. Mm-hmm. When I saw that for the first time, I was like, wow. <laughs> And it looks better on 360 than it does on PS3. I, I agree. True. I agree with John. All roads lead to Halo Infinite. If if yeah. Halo Infinite is there at launch, um, Series X is in a good place. I, I think. How do you sell the Series X to to people? I think if you have Halo Infinite and you really push that, and then you also market the, hey, you can bring any of your old or, or of your existing Xbox One games across, no problem at all. They'll all work. That's also mm-hmm. a huge selling point. And of course, hey, by the way, we have these really cool things called Game Pass and xCloud where you can um, play <laughs> these games instantaneously without any type of uh, loading or waiting for patches available today. And you get three months of it for free when you buy a Series X. I think those are the three kind of things that will really sell the Series X. And if they can execute on, on, on those, which I think they will, then I think the mm-hmm. system is in really good shape. So to conclude this, on a scale of 1 to 100, what (laughs) would you say is your confidence rating in Microsoft doing well with the Series X? Mm, I'm going to go with um, 87.93 repeating. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) I'm going to go a little lower. Not much, though. A little lower (laughs) because I'm just that skeptic that has... John, I've told this to Nate before, but I just have difficulty believing that halo infinite will be ready for launch but that's another conversation for another another episode but (laughs) yeah i'm worried about that too i think i think so (laughs) with that in mind my level is probably like an 82 an 82 yeah all right i'll split the difference and come in at an 85 and i mean we have to wait for that you know that showcase see what microsoft has in store from us i'm excited to see what they have hopefully they don't pull a don matrick and fall over their own feet and show us halo infinite and somehow the game is hardly a halo game or some weird decision but that will conclude today's episode i want to thank john for joining us today oh of course and if i had to give a grade to sony I'd probably say it's more about 91%. Ooh, coming in high with the Sony confidence. (laughs) (laughs) And MVG, always a pleasure to have you. 
thanks for having me on and i would i would give sony again i'd go a little lower than that i'd probably give it like an 85 <laughs> it's just that hype man the hype is huge oh, it is like even like maybe it'll tail off but right away it's gonna it's gonna <laughs> smash i know it's gonna do well that logo and that controller got people excited exactly that's what i'm basing <laughs> that, that kind of stuff and just the engagement with our own audience yep. it's insane <laughs> <laughs> Well, to everyone, if you enjoyed this episode, give the video a like. If you didn't like it, give it a dislike. Leave your thoughts in the comment section below. I'll be sure to go through them. You can find a link to John's Twitter account and to Digital Foundry's YouTube channel in the description below, as well as MVG's YouTube account. And until next time, don't deny me, embrace me.